We have two short Bible readings this morning. The first one is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the second reading is from James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Thank you, Nicole. Well, friends, um, We come to this point in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray to God, lead us. And I wonder how often we find ourselves in life praying or at least thinking, where do I go? Lead me. I need your leading. I think it's perfectly natural uh, for us to want God's guidance in life. After all, there are so many big decisions to be made, aren't there? I mean, maybe it's the crisis moment. We're just not sure which way to turn, but a decision has to be made. Dear God, show me the way. I was down at the supermarket just the other day and I was standing in the cereal aisle and I thought, I think I need divine intervention here. There is a whole aisle full of cereal. How am I meant to get my day off to the best possible start? Surely I need, I need a word from the Lord to make sense of all of this. But of course, you know, this is a pretty serious topic and there are many times actually in life when actually choosing our way, choosing the path can be pretty challenging. Uh, It is a while ago, but I can still remember what it felt like to be in year 11 and to have my teachers reminding me just how important my year 12 subject choices were going to be because it would shape the rest of my life. I mean, it felt like that was just, that was a life-changing decision. How do I work this out? And and that doesn't let up as you make your way through life, does it? Um, Do I go to uni or not? If I go to uni, what course course do I do? For for young families, as life progresses... there are some important decisions to be made about the interface between children and, and work and, and as the years progress, you know, what does it look like to pursue career advancement? Do I tackle that MBA? Do I stay in the company and look for promotion up? Or do, do I step outside and into new things? I think it is perfectly natural for us to long for someone who can see over the horizon or, or around the corner at least to help shape our decisions. It's perfectly natural to turn to God for guidance. Now, on a very different front, timely this week, I can remember a conversation that I had with my dad as as a 21-year-old, having just met a wonderful woman by the name of Peter Anderson. I can remember the conversation very clearly. Dad, I don't know what to do here. I found this amazing woman that I think I'd love to spend the rest of my life with, but 
let's be honest, we don't have a clue where we're going in life. I mean, I'm only 21, I've I've just kicked off a med degree and I haven't got much of a clue about what I am going to do next. Is it enough to know that I want to go there with her? Or am I supposed to work out what I'm doing in life and then try and find a girl that might actually want to join me on the journey? Now, my dad is not one to offer advice too quickly, but I will never forget his response. I suppose it depends what your priorities are. Now, as a father, I realise the absolute genius of that answer, because what did he not do? He didn't answer my question for me, did he? (laughs) But even more than that, he so helpfully pointed me back to the basic guidance that I really did need. Because I needed to ask my question of God, who's the one that needed to shape those priorities. And I think we can all thank God for the fruit of that conversation, that 20 years ago, Miss Peter Anderson became Mrs Peter Marshman, headed off into the unknown with a geeky med student. And so at many points in life, I think we can agree, we we want God to guide us. And the good news is that it's, it's a totally reasonable thing to ask God for his help with because he has shown us, I think, part of his, his purpose in the unfolding narrative of the Bible is to show that he is a God who guides his people. We only need to see how that, that story unfolds. He said to Abraham, go to the land that I'm going to show you and he led him to the promised land. He, he took the people of Israel out of Egypt and when everything seemed you know, helpless and hopeless and they weren't sure how to escape the clutches of Pharaoh, he led them. He led them with with a pillar of fire by night and and cloud by day through a wilderness that they would get lost in. God is a God who leads his people. And it's also really a good thing to ask God to guide because he's shown that he's a good guide. For one thing, he shows us time and again just how badly things go when we try and go our own way. Um, If you're thinking through the storyline of the Bible, I think that's the core message of the book of Judges. It's just this endless cycle of anecdotes about just how terribly things go when we actually don't look to God for our guidance, we, we try and get things done our own way. Or perhaps one of the most famous prayers in the whole Bible, Psalm 23, as King David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. God guides and He is a good guide. But, of course, there's a but, right? But there's a fundamental problem with the way that we so often look to him for our guidance. And I think Jesus highlights that when he teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us not into temptation. Your kingdom come, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, Joel, I've got a sermon outline there on a slide ahead, which is giving us a bit of an idea where we're headed from. It's totally reasonable to pray for God to lead, but actually what we need to realise on the next point there, I think, Joel, um, if you can find the slide, is that Jesus actually highlights that there's a deep problem in here. I think this prayer... It highlights a typical problem with our our typical prayers for God to lead us. Because most of the time we're praying, lead us so that my kingdom will come. Our desires, our agendas, our definition of good outcome, 
you know, the great job, the beautiful spouse, the, the life of pleasure and security, whatever it might be. Guide me, we pray, into my kingdom. So we need to let Jesus to teach us to pray. And when we do, we might be surprised to see what Jesus says about God's guidance for us. It's a guidance that deals with the fundamental problem that we all have in here. Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation. That's the great guidance that we need from God. And it's the point that we need to be honest with ourselves about, that we have this deep-seated natural tendency that we need God's help to overcome. Uh, We've read from James. Joel, can you flash that up on the screen for us? We read from James, who put this so vividly for us. In verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You leave that on the screen for us, Joel, because that's a really vivid image for us. Dragged away by our, our own evil desires. And what is conceived as desire gives birth to sin. And when that's grown, it gives birth not to the gift of life, but to death. These are incredibly vivid images. I think they're helpful for a few reasons. First, because James helps us to understand the logic of what Jesus is teaching in the Lord's Prayer. Because he clarifies that Jesus wasn't implying that temptation comes from God, as if we need to ask him, or lead me away from temptation, because if I don't pray this way, you might lead me into it. No, James says, God doesn't tempt anyone. The temptation comes from within Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So it's it's helpful in clarifying that the reason that we need to ask our Heavenly Father to lead us away from temptation is because we have this deep-seated tendency to walk right into it. An image for us to bring to mind, it's like a compass that needs to be regularly recalibrated. I've already mentioned Dad once, that wise man that I mentioned earlier. Dad was a light aircraft pilot. Now, traditionally, aircraft have two compasses on board, two types of compasses. The first type is a magnetic compass like this one, which indicates magnetic north, which it turns out doesn't actually point you towards true north very often. Depending on where you are on the face of the Earth, the the magnetic fields kind of swirl around and, and will almost invariably point you off course. So, to give a more accurate bearing... Aircraft and ships, for example, they also have a gyroscopic compass which can be set to a particular heading and then constantly points in that direction. But the two of them, they need to be calibrated. They need to be calibrated using the settings on a map that show just how many degrees from true north, magnetic north is currently pointing at at that point on the Earth's surface. And it really matters. I mean, it doesn't matter if your compass is a little bit out, if all you're doing is walking around the corner to get milk. You'll you'll see the shop, you'll know where you're going, you'll be fine. But if you're in an aircraft flying hundreds of kilometres above the desert or, or over the cloud, a couple of degrees off course, and you could be miles from your destination, running out of fuel or crashing into a mountain, the consequences are huge. So even in this age of GPS navigation, as part of the pre-flight routine for every flight, from Qantas down to the little guys, every pilot will calibrate the compass to make sure that they're not wandering off course. 
And Jesus teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Because we have a deep problem in here. A constant tendency to, to wander off course, which can be fatal. And so, like the rest of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, this is a daily prayer, like, give us today our daily bread. Forgive me today my sins. Lead us not into temptation, because I know my temptation, my tendency to drift off course. Now, if we put James back on screen, I think the second reason that this is a really helpful, vivid picture that he gives us is because he shows us just how high the stakes are. Uh, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I think James is he's trying to shake us up here. He's trying to be really deliberately very vivid that what is conceived as desire gives birth to sin. And when that's grown, that gives birth to death. This is a life and death matter. In the Apostle Paul, he said it even more concisely, more bluntly, the wages of sin is death. Temptation and sin is a life and death matter. Nothing trivial here. And Jesus teaches us to pray in such a way that, that recognises this, tackles it head on. The reason pilots do a pre-flight routine of their aircraft is because that is the daily routine that picks up the kind of fault or inaccuracy that could lead to disaster. Yes, the plane's been well-maintained according to a, rich, a, really, a really detailed maintenance schedule, but this is a life-and-death matter, so it's not taken for granted. And when Jesus teaches us to pray for God's guidance, lead us, this is the prayer he gives us. Our Father in heaven, lead us, not into temptation. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this is all that the Bible says about the way that God's guides or, 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 or how we approach Him in, in that, far from it. But it does seem hard to go past the emphasis that Jesus gives on it here. Because to pray like this is to be honest that we have a fatal flaw in our hearts with a natural tendency to, to wander off on our own way. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the decision, this is actually the guidance that we need to ask God for. The next point on the um, sermon outline for us, Joel, highlights though that actually the problem is in here, but Jesus is also very real about a danger out there. As he taught us to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, a little sort of brief side note here. Um, the version that we've just read, and as I've just reiterated there, uh, it might sound a little different to the version of the prayer that some of us might have grown up praying or if you're reading a different bible translation it's it's not the evil one it's just lead us not in to evil or deliver us rather from from evil and it's helpful i think at that point just to ask well what's going on here you see jesus he literally says deliver us from the evil which could simply be a way of of jesus describing evil as this really profound and kind of identifiable force it's not just a concept of evil but the evil that is in our world, that threatens our lives, that threatens our relationships, deliver us from the evil. I think it could just as easily and probably more likely be Jesus using a shorthand for describing a more distinct entity, the evil one. 
Because Jesus spoke really plainly a bunch of times about the existence of the evil one, of Satan, of the devil, the person who is opposed to God and his purposes. And if you're here today checking out Christianity, I want to be really upfront with you, that that I think it's helpful for you to know that we believe in a spiritual realm that, that cannot be seen, but is no less real than the chair that you're sitting on that's holding you up. That you already know that there is more to this life than just the physical, if you believe in things like love and and trust and hope. And Jesus is really open about the presence of evil in this world in general and the threat of the evil one, who he calls Satan, in particular. A little screenshot here from a story that I read the other day on the ABC website. Uh, What is Satanism and where does social justice fit into this controversial religion? That's right, Satanism is a religion. It's a story about a group of people who've got themselves organised as uh, a church, they call it, the Church of Satan. There's another group referred to in the story here that have called themselves the Temple of Satan. Similar idea, subtle differences, different crowd. And this editorial piece... It was suggesting that all of this is a bit of kind of harmless social activity around this shared view that admires the the outcast figure who stands against institutional authority. That's what they've kind of argued they're boiling Satan down to because they argue the Bible describes Satan as a fairly kind of harmless figure, really. But I think Jesus and his apostles, they would beg to differ on that. Up on the screen, I've put for us the words of another Disciple of Jesus, Peter, who wrote this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. I mean, gee, these guys are good at vivid images, aren't they? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't dismiss this lightly. I don't think he's being presented as some sort of non-entity, just a concept. Neither is just some harmless figure. He's looking to devour people. And if we're left to our own, well, we're like sitting ducks. We're bunnies in the spotlight. We're the hens in the hen house and he's the fox. We're in trouble. But it's not that he has some sort of overwhelming power. The Bible's not fascinated with him, captivated by him, in fear of him. Because the only power that the devil has is is because of our heart's natural tendency to wander into temptation. He has no power except to deceptively exploit our own sinful nature. You see that playing out in the Garden of Eden right back at the start of the story as God helps us understand how this world works. You see, the devil, when he tempted Eve, he didn't didn't beat her up or or twist her arm or strong-harm her, overwhelm her. He simply planted the seed of a lie that has been growing like a weed through the rest of the human heart's history ever since. The seed was the question, did God really say? And the weed that grew from it is the lie. Ah, he can't be trusted because he doesn't really love you. Well, this is how Jesus, on the screen for us, this is how Jesus described the devil as John records him uh, speaking in in John chapter 8. Jesus says of him, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his natural tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
So when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, deliver us from the evil one, he's not got some kind of guns blazing Terminator scene on view. This is not a battle of power. He is reminding us that the devil's only hold on us is through his capacity to play to our heart's tendency to wander into temptation. For his capacity to get in our ear and convince us of the lie, God can't be trusted. He doesn't really love you. You see, the two go hand in glove. The problem in here and the danger out there. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I want us to think a little bit more about the guidance that we really need. Joel, we've got that final slide just to help us to see how this is all piecing together. Because we come with our questions, right? They're good questions. Should I take the interstate transfer? Should we buy that house? Should I marry that guy? They're great questions to ask of a good God who has shown himself to be a good guide. We could spend, we could spend a bunch of sermons digging into everything that the Bible says about that topic. But Jesus teaches us that what we most need guidance in is that constant course correction that guards us from the distortion of the lies that would drag us away from our relationship with him. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, he takes us, he takes us so much deeper than just the superficial questions that we come with. They're good questions, they're important. But Jesus takes us right to the heart of our relationship with him. Because it isn't just the way that we think about the decisions that we make. I think it's also about the way that we feel and, and the very things that motivate us. Consider how the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples taps right into the motivations of our heart. And for example, Jesus knows that I get angry. We get angry. I mean, I know that when I'm tired, I get tetchy. My fuse gets short. My tone gets harsh. And at that point, my heart's natural tendency is to wander into anger. Father, I need to pray. Lead me not into temptation. Correct the course of my heart that is prone to anger. And I think sometimes that prayer needs to be really practical too. Father, lead me not into temptation. Help me prioritise the rest that I need to have the humility to know that I'm not bulletproof and invincible to get the rest that I need to help me to be gracious and patient with others. Now, at one level, that doesn't feel like a life-changing decision, does it? The kind of thing that we think, oh, now I need to turn to God to find out what to do. Yet I think Jesus is teaching me that's, that's actually the kind of prayer that I need to be praying, asking God to lead me in it at that moment. At other times, when we let Jesus really probe our motivations, it really does impact the big decisions that we're faced with. I mean, Jesus knows that we feel frustrated, longing for more. I think that's part of the reason why he says, he teaches us to pray, give me my daily bread. Teach me contentment. Overcome my temptation to frustration and envy. Enable me to trust that you give me what I need rather than sacrifice everything that's important to secure that fill in the gap. Lead me not into temptation. Help me to see that the honour of your name in my life is what you deserve and it's actually the only way that I can find true contentment. So strengthen me to make the, the ethically sound choice rather than cut corners to get what I want. You can fill in the gaps. You can see where this is going. 
And Jesus knows that we feel scared, we feel insecure and uncertain at so many points. Lead me not into temptation, let your kingdom come. Because I know that that is where my bedrock is, where my, where my shelter is. So deliver me from the lies of the evil one who would convince me that I can find my shelter anywhere else. You see how in all of this, if we keep thinking through, as Jesus taught us to pray, he takes us right to the heart of our relationship with him. And as we see that in the context of all of these, that Jesus did, I think he teaches us to pray as a people who long to be led by him because we know the grace of God deep in our hearts. Father in heaven, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because we know he is a good God, overflowing in grace and loving kindness. This prayer, this prayer is an open admission of just how kind of core level messed up we are, <laughs> that we need a daily course correction. Otherwise, we'd turn our backs on him. And yet he invites the prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray this. This, this is the prayer of the kingdom of grace that knows what we are like and invites us into a relationship in which we turn to him with our needs. Just reflect on who it is that teaches us to pray this way. It's not the king who demands our allegiance and then says, step one foot off course and I'll blow you up. No, this is, this is the prayer taught to us by the king who stepped into our world and stood firm against temptation because he knows that we can't. It's the prayer taught by the one who would climb onto the cross to pay the penalty for our temptation because he longs to make us his own. This is the king who rose from the grave and he's defeated the power of temptation. So we know that, yes, the evil one might get into our ear, but he has no hold on our life. And this is the king who dwells in our hearts by his spirit, so that through his word he can constantly correct the lie. To keep teaching us, he can be trusted. Because he really does love us. So let's pray daily. Lead us. Lead me, Lord. Let's pray it as individuals. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Let's pray it as a church. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the guidance that we so desperately need for all the decisions we might face in life. And that's why we read from Psalm 25. Because it is a wonderful example of a prayer that longs for God to guide. Not the path to my kingdom, how I think I'd like it. But show me your ways. Teach me your truth. Father, lead me away from temptation and stumbling into sin. Guide my heart. So I'm going to finish by praying those words. I want to invite you to pray. We're not going to put them on the screen because... I actually want to dwell, you to dwell on these words and to make them your own in a prayer to God. And in fact, I want to encourage you to think about using this in the week to come, that this might be your expansion on the Lord's Prayer at this point. So let's pray together. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. 
nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my saviour. My hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Don't remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He, he guides the humble in what is right and he teaches them his ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. So turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. And this we pray in Jesus' name.